Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And uh, today is for me a special day because I've been obsessed with this film called 120 Beats Per Minute. Uh, this is the second podcast that I've done on it, though the first for Eavesdropping at the Movies. And I was very, very keen to hear uh, what Mike, who is much younger than I and who is not gay, <laughs> felt about a film that myself... You know, as a middle-aged gay man, felt, you know, particularly identified uh, and, and moved by. So, what did you think, Mike? Uh, well, I liked it. That's, that's a fair enough way to start. Uh, I think it's... It, uh, well, let's just briefly say, I suppose, what it's about. Yes. Well, um, it's a film about the active movement in Paris. Uh, and it basically starts off the whole first hour of the film... It's just about meetings and procedures and, you know, the actions and the necessity of taking actions and, you know, kind of the outrage that, you know, the government is doing nothing and all these people are dying and, you know, the, these very young men of various kinds all really taking political action to save their lives, right? Yeah, and, uh, and a, a, a romantic story develops. There are, there are slight romantic stories. They're not really... The, well, it's not certainly not the focus, no. but it's not heavily plot-driven around them. Yes, I mean, so the whole first hour of the film is really... And I think it's incredible cinema because it really is all about meetings and procedures. And during these meetings, these two characters, Sean and Nathan, meet. They fall in love. You know, one is HIV positive, the other one isn't. And actually, you know, they fall in love, they plan to move in together, and as the guy moves in together, he barely is in long enough for him to die, basically. Yeah. That's the story in a nutshell, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a spoiler in that, in that uh, the character dies, but then this was a it's period of time, <laughs> period of time which everyone, uh, people, people died sort of en masse. I was, we were talking about it. Basically, I watched the film last night, so we, we saw Avengers yesterday. And then after we were talking about, I've really got to see 120 beats per minute because it just is an antidote to yeah. Avengers, you know, and because it's so important to you. Yes, I've been forcing people to watch it, so you're, you know, it's not just you. So, yeah. uh, you know, I got Adam Carver, who's, who's like your age, but gay, to, to, you know, to see it and talk it over with me. I wanted to see what his perspective would be. I got my sister, my brother-in-law... You know, I forced them to see it with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were in London. They could have gone to see the Rodin or something, but no, I forced them into a cinema in the middle of a, a sunny spring afternoon because I felt they had to understand. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, what we were also talking about yesterday was I, I just kind of asked you. This is set in the, in the early nineties in France, um, and this is a, a an era and a place and a period of time where where people with AIDS were dying left, right and centre. There was no help, really. And, and um, Act Up in the film is fighting a pharmaceutical company that is basically refusing to help, refusing to release test results and, yes. uh, that would help uh, gay people and people with HIV and AIDS. They're um, acting on different fronts. So they're protesting against the government. They're putting education as to safe sex in the schools. Yes. You know, and also they are lobbying uh, the pharmaceutical companies and protesting against the pharmaceutical companies. So... It's actions that actually take place on different fronts. Yeah, that we see. And do um, you show me photos of old friends of yours? And you said this is a person who died. Yes. And uh, I said to you, 
did you lose many people back then? Which I'd never really asked you before. No, it's very much the story of my life, really, yeah. and very much the story, I think, of my uh, generation, certainly in Montreal, because, you know... Um, so I was watching this film called, this play called The Inheritance. Right. Uh, in London, which is also, which is kind of in a way similar. It's an intergenerational gay thing, you know, and, and the AIDS years are very prominent in it. And there's a character in it who's Walter, who dies in the course of the play, who's meant to be the old generation, you know, who lived through all of this. And I was very fascinated by one line because it said, you know, so, you know, uh, Walter came to New York and fell in love with Henry you know, he was 19 and it wasn't 1981. Well, I was 19 in 1981, so I'm that old yeah. guy, right, who from that previous generation. But really, kind of, you know, you went, it was, it was a really homophobic time anyway, right? It was kind of very difficult to come out. And all our uh, first kind of demonstrations and so on were about, like, police brutality just in clubs and things like that. So, you know, I don't think I really became aware you know, about uh, the AIDS virus until maybe 83 or something like that, right? Mm. But, you know, I was an undergraduate in 1983. I graduated in uh, 1985. So um, all of these, yeah, kind of... I mean, we were the first generation who was hit by it that didn't know, yeah, that didn't know about it, right? right? So there was a period where you didn't know about it, you know, and then it became, like, the most scary thing in your life, really. Um, you know, and I was telling you that out of the people, you know, for a very, very long time, I assumed that most of the people who were in the gay sock with me at McGill in the years that I was a student had died, you know, like, you know, uh, like 80% of them. Mm. I subsequently found out that that wasn't true because, you know, you go on Facebook and you reconnect with people and, yeah. you know, it wasn't as many as I thought. But still, there was a lot, yeah. right? And Well, you showed me the passage, I asked you this, and you showed me the... Um, this passage it's from the end of act one of the inheritance yes. where it's basically the conversation we were having one character asks another what was it really like um and there's just this list he, re he just recites this list daniel's dead ian's dead chris is dead simon's ill and and just this list goes on and on and on and on of all the th of all the people and it's and it's I was just reading it. I wasn't watching it being performed. It was heartbreaking just yes. to read it. Yes. You know, get that impression. It's the, it's the, I think it's the thing that kind of most shaped my life, you know. Uh, and actually, during this whole period, I was kind of very happily ensconced in a relationship. I was very much in love. And, you know, I lived through uh, all of this uh, with a partner, which is, I think, what saved me, really. You know. Um, you know, but kind of... Uh, um, you know, there are photos of parties that we had in the mid-80s, you know, and there are people who, you know, who are 20 uh, and died three years later. And yeah, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, so many, of, so many of those people, you have to ask other friends for their names because you can't even, you can't even remember, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, so for me, it is, it is the thing that, sh that most shaped my life, really. Uh, um, so, you know, kind of, you lost a whole bunch of people. I mean, at a certain point, I was arguing foolishly, because I would say, I was saying there's no other generation, you know, that in a way has suffered like what we, <laughs> what we suffered. 
you know, uh, and then you think, of course, it's ridiculous. I mean, you think of the Holocaust, and, you know, yeah. like, you know, but it had that feeling of, of plague, of, you know, like the discrimination was so brutal, you know, and what people, and it was such a horrible way of dying, mm -hmm. like, you know, because kind of basically people with autoimmune deficiencies would like collapse, mm -hmm. right? And then they would just be victims to whatever, you know, the disease would happen. You know, but people would really suffer and, you know, and their faces would become distorted and their bodies would become distorted. And, you know, it was a really gruesome way of dying, really. Mm -hmm. um, so without, without anyone wanting to take care of them, I mean, as you saw in the play, like in the U.S., you even had to declare whether somebody had died of AIDS in your flat. That was that level of discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. Before renting it out to other people. So, um, you know. So it's something. It's material that I am very vulnerable to. I kind of, you know, I kind of I weep at the thought of it, really. So you know, which is also why, kind of, I want to talk about it with so many people, right? Yeah. You know, is the movie really great? Or is it just something that I am particularly attuned to? Well, would you be surprised to hear that I didn't cry? I would be surprised to hear that. Okay, well then be surprised. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not a surprise. I mean, you know, I do know that you are somebody who cries at Toy Story 3, but the greater tragedies of life <laughs> yeah. pass you by. <laughs> it's true. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it may be not the film's failing. I think the film is very effective, but I think it is... I can see exactly why you feel that this film was made precisely for you. Yes. You know, this, is, this film is about... Maybe you weren't in Paris, but this, is, this film is about your life back then. It's my generation. It's your sure. generation and your sort of milieu. And, um, like, so, for instance, uh, it, it, the, film, the film kind of has a specificity, but actually out of that specificity comes the sort of generality of experience. So, for instance... Um, the the activists in Act Up in the film, uh, the first thing you see them do, one of the first things you see them do, is invade the offices of uh, the pharmaceutical company and throw blood bags, fake blood, yes. um, and, uh, and and poster saying a assassin killer. Yes. Um, uh, you know the, the, this kind of kind of not exactly violent but visceral uh, mm. political and social protest against them. Now. You know, most gay people, maybe most gay people, I don't know back then, didn't do something like that. But they will have known people who did. It was in the kind of water, or they've done something similar. So that, that I think, kind of really would speak to you. Yes. I mean, let's not overestimate it. I mean, one of the things that has it's just been progress is, you know, that the people who were gay activists then, and who did go on marches, and who did organise things and whatever we're a tiny, tiny, tiny minority compared to the people who are out now or who are married now, right? Like, mm. you know, it took a certain kind of either guts or just being shunned, you know, by your family and your community to be out in those ways and to actually be an activist in those ways. There was a very small percentage of people who were homosexual yeah. who actually kind of were activists in those ways. And it's interesting in the film because, of course... You know, most of the people who are being activists in those ways in this film are people who are infected by the virus, right? Yeah. So, uh, um, and, and actually, you see, there's a really lovely scene, you know, where they're putting up posters and so on, and, you know, other gay men who are cruising nearby say, well, you know, why do you have to do this? Why do you always have to scare people, right? Like, mm. yeah. 
So um, it's a film in which observations like that kind of fill in gaps. Like actually, so, sort of plot-wise, it's fairly light. It's about it's about a movement and an era, yeah. and you kind of uh, like I said, the film is two and a half hours long, and I think that that allows it a lot of time to sink into its world so you spend a lot of time in these meetings as you say particularly yeah. in the first hour and there's a lot of process and I mean they talk about uh, clicking the fingers instead yes. of applauding because that means that you're not distracting people and um, and you know in here is debate and outside is conversation yeah. this sort of thing yes. and, we, and, and actually then when a debate later on in the film you know ends up in the hall they say no 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 no, no bring it back in yeah. here you know so there's it, 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 it almost felt slightly satirical in that um, wow. But I think it, which I'm not, I don't think it's entirely negative. I think it's just, I think it's more of a light-hearted sort of, um, sort of comment on the way that uh, highly organised or highly efficient sort of organisations will practice. Do you know what I mean? Yes, they were a, they were highly efficient, you know, and b, I, I, I think there's still a model of how meetings should be run. Yeah, you know, because the point about the the clicking of the, the snapping of the fingers. Was so that you don't drown out the speaker. You show appreciation, but the speaker can still be heard. Yes, exactly. Which makes complete sense, right? The thing about not having backroom conversations is because those backroom conversations then subvert yeah. the democratic agreements in the hall, right? Like, so, you know, everything has its reason, right? And that's why those actions were so successful. They were so well carried out. They were so efficient. Yeah, it really is. And actually, the, the, uh, when debate in the chamber... Uh, Chambers maybe a bit grand. It's like a lecture hall. Um, when debate in, in the lecture hall uh, devolves at some points into argument and people start talking up over one another, um, you still feel that it's kind of a model of how these meetings should be run. Yes, like they are still civil. Yes. and they are still even when people have problems with each other. There's one point where um, it's uh, the character is a mother of someone who died of AIDS. I think no, it's the mother of. A hemophilia who's sitting next to her, the young right. boy, you know, the young curly-haired boy, who actually makes the blood balls. Yeah. Right. Yes. You know, he's a hemophiliac. He was infected, uh, you know, accidentally. Right. Um, yeah. And that's his mother. Who's and she has a problem with something that's been printed about her. I can't remember what exactly. She wants to sue and send someone to jail because of uh, 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 an unjust comment that they've made. Right. Right. Um, and so the whole argument is we're not here to put people in jail. We're here to, like, you know, find a solution to people's illness. Yes, that's right. And I think, I think what she has a problem with amongst the group is that she's been kind of denounced by other members of the group in print. That's right. Um, and so she brings it up with them. But even, even, so, even so, there's this fundamental argument taking place about what is, what's the nature of our organisation. Yes. And how could you, you know, sort of, why have you uh, denounced me in public without yes. speaking to me first? Yes. It's still sort of fairly civil. It's not, you know, um, yes. I, I think there is something actually really admirable about the way that these debates take place, the meetings take place. So and I really, really like that. Yeah, and they were all about, like, points of principle, right, rather than about kind of personal accusations and so on. Yeah. But what I love about the film is that the personal element is threaded throughout as well. Yes. Right. So, you know, you see how one person is loved by another, or desires another, or is rejected by another, through all of these little glances in the middle of the meeting, mm. right, that then affect kind of 
other things as the film unfolds. Yeah, so the film really starts off with these meetings and the, the personal stories become woven into it more and more and, and so you go back to Sean's flat and he goes back to his flat with Nathan so you come back to them together and then they're in bed and it's a film that is you know we've spoken quite a lot about uh, the uh, the peach thing you call you by your name and how uh, puritanical it is mm. um, about actual physical uh, acts of, of, of gay sex oh, um, and this film is not I mean it's not hardcore but it's yeah. it's not afraid to show bodies on bodies and and even um uh, a man was thrusting behind another man in that yes. in that sort of flashback yes. moment where Sean's talking about the, the the first time first time he had sex and that was when he got infected is what yes. he's talking about yes with his teacher and it's and it's and it's actually it's really physical because he's it's briefly done actually he's in bed with Nathan at the time and as he tells this story the camera pans down to the bed and then this other character from the flashback this teacher character yeah. shows up sort of in the room yeah. so it's not like a cut or like a fade to black or anything yeah. he's right there yeah. and it makes it that much more sort of physical and corporeal yeah, the cutting is beautiful and actually one of the interesting things that I found about this is that you know Campiglio the director of the film you know basically he's, he's a writer but he actually makes a lot of his living just editing other people's films and he's one of the few people who really kind of largely makes a living as an editor, who right. you know, has then made these films. So this is very much, you know, director as editor filmmaking. Right? Mm. And you could see the skill involved in that, because actually I do think that the whole first half hour in, you know, the lecture hall, which is all about meetings and actions and points of principle and so on, is a tour de force of editing. Yeah. No, no, no you're actually, it actually is. I mean, I remember watching the class. I think he, he dir- wrote that, and I think he edited that as well. Did he not direct it? No. Just, just give me one moment. I'll give you one moment because I'm often wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but I think I'm right. No, you, you know, you're quite right. He didn't direct the class. He uh, edited and, and screen wrote for it. Mm. Um, which was a film I found. I, I, the thing about the class is, I remember that I have watched it. Yes. I don't remember anything about it. Yes. I'm, I'm reasonably sure I found it quite dull. To be honest, and I think there are elements of that in this that you could find dull. I think that I think the screen time, I think the running length is, it's not a problem because I think it's what is required to really become invested in the world and the era that the mm. film is portraying. Um, but there are times when I felt it was dragging for me. I think that it's it's incredibly evocative of the time and place. Yes. Uh, but maybe well, that maybe that lack of identification for me was more of an issue than it was for you. You you maybe. felt this was like this was about me is what you felt. Well, I thought it was a, I felt in a certain way that it was definitely if not me per se, but okay. well, my generation very clearly. Okay. You know, and I recognized everything and I identified with much of it. You know, but just you know trying to be as objective of it as I can, I actually don't think there's an extraneous moment. Okay. You know, yeah. and I kind of, you know, if you do think, I would be very interested to know which which ones you think are. Well, it's true, to, it's true to say that I wouldn't be able to think of it like a moment to cut. Yes. That's certainly true. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to go overboard saying, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, talking about the, the duration. Um, because I, I don't think there's like a specific moment I could say, well, that felt extraneous. Or I don't think I could say like, well, if only the meeting scenes had been a bit shorter each time. Mm. Um, because everything did feel like it had a place. Yes, and everything was personalised in a way, you know. So, because, you know, the film, you know, we're talking about like Infinity Wars. Well, this has a huge cast of characters as well. Yeah. 
you know, and it weaves them in a way that each is that recognizably distinct, but they're also kind of representative of a movement. And then there's also like a central couple. But if you remember the beginning, and I forget his name, you know, but the young man who comes in and he's a history student and, you know, he's just been diagnosed and, the, you know, the doctor tells him that he's like kind of becoming ill, losing immunity very quickly, that his T-cell counts or whatever, or T-4 yeah. counts are dropping very fast and they don't know why. Is this the character who faints in the chair? Faints, right? And then, you know, within, like in moments he's at the hospital and in moments mm. he's dead and in moments his picture is kind of being used, you know, in a march, right? And I think, I found it all very moving, yeah. right? You know, so you get a sense of who that character is, right? You, you do get a sense of a, a person, mm. right? Rather than just a number, right? But on the other hand, there's just like a little tiny strand of the film, right? Yeah. You know, and there are kind of many moments like that and many characters like that. Um, I found it deeply, deeply touching, you know? Yeah. Um, and there are moments that I found, like, kind of unique. So, so um, I don't know if you followed Dag, I forget his surname. No. Um, anyway, he's, um, he's a critic, and he was saying on Facebook that he thought, you know, the, the sex scene in the hospital? Yes. That he thought that was the best love scene he's ever seen filmed. I thought it was pretty extraordinary, I've got to say. Yes. You know, and I, th- I think it's, you know, for me, definitely like the best love scene ever filmed. Because it's truly about love. And it's purely about emotion, right? The guy is ill. He's dying. He says, I'm scared, right? Like, you know, yeah, he's putting his feelings on the line. His body is terrible. He's got carposies and you can see that it's diseased, mm-hmm. right? You know, so, and so like the whole sex thing becomes an act of communication and of compassion and of feeling. And, you know, there's this moment where he reaches out in the middle of orgasm to kiss him. You know, to mm. kiss his boyfriend, where you think it's almost like a, a reaching out for life, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. you know, just kind of, so I felt that was so beautiful, really. And so the opposite of what sex scenes do, which is put body on, the pl- on display to get you hard about them, right? This is kind of like the opposite of that, like, the bodies on display are actually unattractive, like, you know, it's all about the feeling. Well, I think it's a thing about... about I'm not sure I quite agree with that, because what, what you're really describing there is porn. Bodies on display to get hard about. When it's purely to display, that, that's pornographic. And I think that, film, that, that sex in cinema... Um, usually the problem with it is it doesn't have uh, a strong focus or theme or idea of what it wants to do. And so it can be sort of slightly pornographic... But, I mean, obviously it has kind of censorship to worry about as well, or, you know, um, uh, ratings and whatnot. But um, very often it feels like this, whatever it's trying to show isn't really coming across. It's often more, more distracting than anything else. It's, it's like I was, uh, I was listening to Robert, Robert Webb, uh, the actor and comedian, was in um, that film Confetti, where he was, he was played a nudist. And although he wasn't having sex in that film, I don't think, uh, but like he, he talked about how when you're nude on screen, you're competing for attention with your own cock all the time. Yes. It's not really the way to act. And I feel like sex scenes very often do that, where they become a distraction just in and of themselves, unless they are so good and have such a, 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 a sort of project behind them or idea or, or, or so, are so great in execution. Um, I can only think of you know, a handful that I've ever felt were really effective for me. I don't know if that... Like, yes. for instance, um, that, that one in 
was the Cronenberg film, A History of Violence, uh-huh. on the stairs. Yes. You know, was was a scene that really expressed something and it, and it moved the story forward and it spoke about those characters and it was visceral. Yes. Um, and and the, the, the scene in this is, it's not a sex scene, it's a masturbation scene. Which, or, uh, uh, in in two hundred twenty beats per minute, I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, which well, but that's sex. That's oh, sure, sex. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, I mean, you know, but yeah, okay, I'm splitting hairs for no reason, I suppose. But but again, you like, are because you know, if you think of it, the alternative, you know, if you were wanking a woman off, that you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, like it's, uh, I mean, actually, it's like masturbation is even more of an act of love because it's sort of one-sided yes. <laughs> the pleasure yes um, uh, but you can see he's reaching out but he's just incapable yeah that's also why it's moving but let me go back to anyway, this idea yeah. where you say you know sex like that is pornographic because I don't think so I think it's a moment of spectacle so the idea you know because you don't have to be explicit I mean if you if you make it explicit mm. then I suppose it would be pornographic if its only objective is to turn the audience on and, and to get the audience off but I think in commercial filmmaking you know, kind of the attempt is to get the audience not off, you know, but to get the audience turned on, right, through a moment of spectacle, which actually arrests the narrative in some way. You know, so you always get these, you know, these these scenes of glistening bodies, you know, immersed in sheets to hide, you know, kind of all the naughty bits and whatever. You know, and the and the attention there is really on the glistening bodies and so on, rather than, mm. you know. So actually, I think it's it is. Yeah. This is very different because this is about communicating emotion rather than to get you to see these beautiful actors. This is certainly very different, I mean, I, and I can say I think it is extraordinary. And I was, um, I, I was captivated by the scene. I sort of and, um, you know, yeah. Mind you, you love a glistening body. I do. <laughs> you know, but this is an achievement because this is a, a sex scene where I was just moved. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I kind of, I think the, the, the representation of sex in this film as a whole, you know, I think is beautiful because it is about, you know, it is about desire, but it is always about the feelings involved around desire. And it's also about, you know, people in places desiring and having sex. Like, it's... You know, it's sex is part of life, not as like this ideal kind of moment where, you know, kind of gods yeah. writhe. <laughs> well, actually, um, so so Sean dies at the end of the film. Yes. Um, he's actually been euthanized by Nathan, hasn't yes. he? Yes. Well, um, actually, I wanted to discuss that with you because. Well, can we, we discuss that in a minute? Okay. I just want to keep on the sex thing for a second. Um, so Sean dies at the end of the film, and it's uh, terribly tragic. And and you know, Nathan runs through the house. He's dead. He's dead. And um, everyone's kind of uh, distraught and sorting out. But then they're not kind of like people knew it was coming, so it's it's kind of a muted mm. sort of sadness. Um, and uh, Nathan says to another character, basically, "Will you spend the night with me tonight?" Yes. And he says, "I'm will fucking everything." And he goes, "Yes, yes." And so and that was to me, I didn't know how to take that personally. Right. <laughs> um, that no, kind I of love that. Go on. Uh, yes. Explain. <laughs> Yes, no. So let me let me. That just seems to me. I think that's something that that was so um, forthright. Like I suppose, sex is kind of seeing. I suppose to me at least as like um, something shared with someone else in particular. And like if if you've just lost your boyfriend, that you would go straight into bed with another friend. 
Well, I think that's the unusual. fundamental difference between, mm -hmm. a well, you know, you can't be too categorical because it doesn't apply to everyone, but yeah. generally speaking, you know, between gay people and straight people, right? Because, you know, I think for gay people, or for myself certainly, and for these characters in the film, sex is many things. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be like, you know, the shared emotional experience like we see Sean and Nathan earlier on, you know, or it could just be fun, or it could be sport, or, yeah, kind of like, it's yeah. not a big deal, right? Like, right. Uh, you know, it, it just isn't, right? Uh, uh, I mean, I remember having this conversation with my brother where he, you know, he wanted to show off with how many women he slept with, and I just had to, I had to end the conversation because, you know, it was, you know, it would prove too embarrassing for him, right? Like, you know, the kind of, and one of the great things about being gay is, you know, how, well, initially, like, I suppose sex is very terrifying, it's certainly taboo and whatever, you know, but it's not an overstressed thing. Like, sex can be many things, mm. right? Uh, and in that case, it seemed to me, you know, that it was beautifully done because he said, sure, right? Like, you know, kind of, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, yeah. kind of, he needed somebody to hug him, right? And then what happens, like, at the end of it, in fact, he bursts into tears after they have sex, right? Because mm. he's thinking of the person he's lost. And the, other, and the guy comforts him, yeah, embraces him, right? So, you know, kind of this this territorial thing that some, you know, heterosexual men have about sex, that, you know, it's just me and mine and, you know, and it has to be this and, you know, whatever, which is always a hypocritical because often the people who most state that is the people who do most do yeah. other things. <laughs> you know, I've never thought it was like a tension with gay men that like, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, a lot of gay men have problems with sex and there are different kinds of ways that gay men have sex and sex means different things to different gay men you know but for many of us it's just not a big deal yeah. it's like yeah. eating <laughs> right like it's easy to get right well yeah I mean I, was, I remember listening to Dan Savage talk about this who's a um, uh, he's, he's a gay man he's an agony aunt sort of uh, mm. a writer on sex and, and, and romance and a podcaster as well and um, I remember him talking about how uh when a man and a woman agree to have sex, that's just it. They agree to have sex. And with, with gay men, when you agree to have sex, that's just the beginning of the conversation. Because the conversation is then about, okay, how and who's on top and who does this and who does that and what are we going to do? And, and so there's a kind of freedom with, with discussing sex and it being a part of a normal conversation remember that isn't the, the case. Scene, remember, sorry to interrupt. No, go on. But remember the first scene in this film, the first sex scene? You know, which takes place in his bedroom. Yeah. You know, and how does it start? You know, and there's this whole negotiation, will you use a condom, will you not use yes. a condom? I don't like yeah. condoms, all that. Right? Like, you know, so actually, you know, they're in bed already, and they're talking about all other kinds of things. Yeah. You know, and some of it is sexual, but then, you know, they go on to talk about the mother. Yeah, like, kind of, Yeah. you know, it is a conversation, right? Um, so, I mean, not always, you know, but in, this, in the film, they actually show how it is also that kind of yes. thing. Yeah, it is an example of that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so... I suppose it was just... It, I, and that all made sense to me, and I found that actually quite beautiful, but it, it was just that, that particular moment towards the end of the film where it was like the guy's just lost his boyfriend and right away, um, uh, kind of sex is still on the table with someone else. Yes. Um, was that that seemed... I, I, didn't, I, I don't think it's any, any problem with the film. I think it was something that the film was kind of showing to me that was just something I didn't know. Yes. You know what well, I mean? I think it's even more beautiful because to me it seems even more honest, right? Like, yeah. it's not that big a deal. If you want sex, I'll give you sex, right? Kind of, you know, yeah. just come and cuddle me, right? 
Yeah. And actually, you know, that's what happened, right? So, you know, and I thought what was beautiful about that moment was actually the moment where his face contorts and he just starts sobbing, mm. right? And and the guy's there to cuddle him. Yeah. That's the, you, you see, yeah, the sex is just like a byproduct, <laughs> like a, a little sideline issue, yeah, yeah, in which he's lonely and he needs company and he's got no one else and he needs somebody to cuddle. And this guy, you know, in the film, because the film builds up these very complex relationships just along glances, you know, so this guy, who is the guy who runs meetings in ACT UP, has been after him for a long time. Sean, the lover who dies, knows he's been after him for a long time, which is why he kicks him out of his, you know, hospital room. Right, I don't want to see you. Right? You remember yeah. that? Yes, yes, yeah. So kind of, you know, so there are all of these, there are, I mean, sex, desire, the potential for sex, yeah, mm. and so on, is always on the table in some way, right? Mm. You know? But it's also, so I suppose it's kind of, it's not contradictory. It's always on the table, and maybe because it's always on the table, it's always unimportant, mm. right? Or it's usually unimportant, let's say. Yeah, or it takes on different meanings. Yes, different meanings. Yeah. And it takes different meanings with different people. Yes. You know, like, some, you know, so sex with some people is an act of love and, you know, communicating yes. feeling and whatever. And, you know, sometimes, it's like, it is, I think, like, the food is the best analogy, because... You know, sometimes you pour your heart out for someone in a meal and you're communicating all these things with what you've cooked and how you cooked and how much time you spent with them, you know, and yeah. they're, whether they, it's their favorite dish or whatever, you know, and sometimes it's just like beans on toast because you need fuel. Right. <laughs> 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 you yeah. know, and sometimes you want to impress a guest and some, you know, like it can be all kinds of things, food, can't it? Yeah. Right. And I think kind of, you know, sex for me, and for a lot of other gay men, and certainly is the way that it's depicted in this film, can be many, many things. And people are not reducible to a sex act. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think, the other, you know, an important point that the film also makes. And I think it's really, I don't think I've seen sex portrayed that way before, or if I, I can't think of it. And I certainly haven't seen it portrayed anything close like that in uh, heterosexual um, relationships. Yes. I mean, in heterosexual relationships, basically sex is the goal you know, at least for yes. a bloke, yes. at least for a straight guy, it is. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, you get, you get all those films, like those teen movies about, you know, losing, we're going to all lose our virginity by the, by the end of the summer and that sort of thing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it doesn't really, doesn't really matter what we do, it's, as long as it's sex, it doesn't really matter anything else. Mm. Yeah, and that's just, that couldn't be more unlike this film. Yes. Um, um, so what did you think of, this, of the mother? Right, so he, so Sean dies. And let's go back to the death, actually, because... You know, I think it's clearly euthanasia. Though the film is, is, I felt the film was pretty clear about it. Okay, um, the, I, I did go back and watch that a couple of times because I wanted to be sure. Okay, um, and it's it's done with very few words, but um, but they, um, I think Sean says, "Is everything ready?" Yes. Um, and he says, "Careful, you don't want to prick yourself." Yes. And then he, you see him in the middle of the night. He gets up. He, uh, Nathan can't sleep. I think. Yes. So he gets up in the middle of the night and injects. Sean with I guess it's morphine though it's not stated yes. um, an overdose and then goes back to sleep on the floor next to him yes. and wakes up a few hours later and he's died so the film seemed to me pretty clear I thought the, the way the film handled that was very interesting because I think it is clear it was clear to me but it is open to other interpretations in the sense that you know um, injecting the the the, the patient with medicine 
is something, yeah, mm. at, at set intervals. Sure. It's part of the treatment. You know, and you know, you remember when they go on holiday and he's count, kind of counting all those uh, uh, plasma cases, right? They need one for each day. Mm. Yeah, those bags of fluid. Um, and so, yeah, and that has to be injected. Yeah, so I think. Yeah. Uh, mm. And also, you know, the shock and the tears and the surprise when he actually finds him dead, which feels very real, mm. you know. So, so, but I think it, I think it is also, anyway, so those are things that kind of could lend itself to a slightly different reading, though for me it was also very clear, you know, that it was euthanasia as an act of love, right? Um, and also because there's a phrase that's really stayed with me in the film, where, you know, Sean says, uh, j'ai pas souffert encore, mais je sais que ça va venir, uh, which kind of, you know, it sounds more beautiful in French, but it, it translates as, you know, I really haven't suffered yet, or I haven't suffered yet, but I know that it will come, yeah. right? And and you and this is the moment where it's just become unbearable, right? Mm. So he wants to sit in the sofa, but he's not he's not comfortable, and actually he's just not comfortable anywhere, right? Um, so kind of the moment has has come where he's yeah. really suffering now. So I, th I thought that was kind of quite amazing. Yeah. Um, but what did you think of the mother? I don't remember her too well, but the the impression I got of her was um, that. Didn't she seem sort of surprisingly supportive or embedded within, uh, well, sort of, sort of um, how else to phrase it, sort of unintimidated by Sean's friends in the way that you might expect older people to be? I would say not only unintimidated, but almost kind of delighted mm. by them, right? And actually, I to me, that was also a kind of a very touching moment because, you know, often parents of gay children... Oh, the only thing they know, especially if they're not supportive, if they're not out, you know, they know very little about their children. Really, the yeah. simple as that, right? Because you know, kind of most of your life you can't share with them. So, so there was a moment where I think you got the feeling that like she was surprised and happy that, you know, that Sean had so many friends and that so many people came over and that kind of, you know, so many people were helping and she was like very matter of fact. Yes. Right. Um, um, and asking for help, right, and so on. And then also kind of, at the end, nonetheless quite forceful about, you know, how he should be remembered, right? So they, they try to write a little obituary. I don't know if you remember. Yes. Right, and she insists she, on courage. putting in... Yeah. She wants to put the word courage in Courage, courage. yes. You know, so I thought that was just lovely. Yeah. And really touching. And then his death, they talk about how he wanted his, his death to be a political act. Yes. And so they take his ashes. Well, they, that's right, they're talking about discussing uh, uh, using his ashes as a political mm. uh, sort of tool, rather like... They the, throw it at a party conference or something. There's a banquet that's right. with politicians, and they throw ashes all over the food. It's in that discussion in the kitchen, they're talking about, we'll keep 50%, and then they're like, well, maybe more like 80-20. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the mother makes a negotiation. Yeah. What do you think of the music? Because the title is partly, like 120 beats per minute is the beat of your heart. That's also the beat of that kind of house. No, music. it's not. Isn't 120. It? Well, it is if you're running, I suppose. But resting, resting BPM is more like 80. Okay. Well, I maybe think you need to see the doctor. I think the title maybe comes from trance music of the time. The trance music of the time, but also a relationship maybe to your heart dancing or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I think an elevated heartbeat. Yes. Uh, I think it's, it speaks to that as well. Um, I mean, the, the film. Um, we've been asked to the music. The film does uh, uh, sort of sort of sink into these sort of melted, flowing 
uh, raves that you should see. Like, they're not like they're not like train spotting raves, or rather, they're not filmed like train spotting raves, yes. where it's like drug fueled and mad and, and aggressive. They are these kind of um, the, the, trance is the word, right? They're places where you can you can kind of sink into yourself and be free yes. uh, amongst people like yourself. Well, I think also dancing was. Um, I mean, I always associate kind of those years with death and dancing, you know, right. because also one of the first things that people with HIV, especially if they're young, really kind of what they want to do is live, <laughs> right? You know, and to have use of your body and things mm. like that, right? So actually dancing and nightclubbing and so on becomes very important because, yeah, it's like you're alive, right? So yeah. kind of, you know, and I think the film combines that so beautifully, like every action that they do, somehow it always ends up in a nightclub or you see kind of moments, yeah, of music and dancing and, you know, that's interspersed with imagery of a virus of some kind. Right? Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, um, so, um, yeah. Doesn't the film end on dancing as well? For it does. It's yeah. very, I think it's very beautiful. So again, I think, you know, they're all, so, is it after the funeral? Anyway, they're all, at, it's, after, it's the, after the action that follows the funeral, they go back to the disco and there's this beat, yeah? And you hear Jimmy Somerville singing Small Town Boy, and then, you know, the song is over, and then all that remains is the beat. And even all the instruments kind of get withdrawn, and you just have the beat, 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 mm. you know? And then you have the shuffling of feet, I think, you know? Yeah. And then it goes to dark, right? So, you know, you do get a sense of, like, you know, dancing, kind of, you know, yeah. And, and dancing on death, really, you know. Yeah. I thought it was very beautiful. It is. Very melancholy. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, and very, but also very affirming, right? And again, just to relate it back to the inheritance, you know, it is, it is about one generation of gay men letting another, yeah, which is, you know, whichever young people go to the movies now, kind of or putting them in dialogue, you know, with something from another period that has actually shaped what is possible for them and that extolled a really heavy price. I mean, you know, kind of AIDS was our Holocaust, you mm. know, in the sense that nobody helped. I mean, not only did nobody help, but actually people actively uh, obstructed. Yeah, well, not only that, but you were victimized for being the victims yourself. Exactly, you know. So, so, so I think kind of the film is really kind of like this intergenerational kind of, you know, dialogue, really. Yeah. yeah. That kind of, and not just intergenerational in the sense of like gay men speaking to gay men, because it must be said, you know, the film was a popular success in France, right? It, you know, I think it had 800,000 uh, entries. It sold 800,000 tickets in Paris, right? Yeah. So it's been a big mainstream hit in Paris. It isn't, you know, it, so obviously it is very much a gay film. But it's actually a gay film that has spoken to the nation as a whole somehow, right, in Paris. Well, so you educated me as well, I mean, and like I said, if, if I, even if I felt like I didn't have a sense of identification, um, I, I still, I felt that, that sense of era and place in the movement mm. uh, very, very strongly. You know, yes. I came out of the film richer than I went in. Yeah. You know. It has very poetic moments as well, I think, you know, the, the turning the sun red... Yes. You know, I mean, that was kind of like... You know, In the dream, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 
All right. Um, so let's wrap up and get kind of last words on on the film. It won the Grand Prix, didn't it? At Cannes. Okay, I did. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I hadn't registered. Second most prestigious uh, honor at Cannes behind yes. Palme d'Or. It won that, and it's won six uh, César awards. Yes, including which, best film, which are like the French Academy Awards. Yeah. So it's been very, very uh, uh, well received as well. Yes, um, and uh, unsurprisingly so. Yes, it's, um, it is. It's a fucking work of art. Good. I'm glad you said so because one of the things that's been a beef of mine is how films like this, which are very, which are great, and they're very accessible and so on, how we we are now so deprived of them. I think. You know, the film ran at the Mac for a little while. It had a week, you know, the electric, a week of screenings of the electric. But it's dispersed amongst other things. It probably only screened once a day or whatever. Yeah. Uh, for five days. So, you know, like all told, there might have been like eight or nine screenings in Birmingham of this, you know, this great film that won, you know, the Grand Prix at Cannes and that won, like basically the French Academy Award for Best Film of the Year. And, you know, those were our only opportunities to see it on a big screen. I think mm. it's kind of... You know, pathetic, really. Yeah, pathetic is the word. Um, yes. So, uh, um, anyway, do uh, see it if you can. I think it is playing on Curzon Home Cinema, uh, you know, which is not ideal, but it's it's better than not seeing it at all. I think it's a truly, truly great film. Yeah, I wish I'd caught it at the Mac, but I was, uh, but I, I basically didn't leave in time. Yeah, it was my own fault. And. Uh, but I'm glad I've seen it. I'm glad you forced me around to because like you've got to see this bloody thing. Yes, yes all right, it's I will. important to me. <laughs> yeah, and like, and like I said, I can totally see why. And um, I think it's a film that sort of it, it feels like it does its uh, the the people on which it's based. It doesn't justice, you know. Yes, uh, which is important because you know so many of those people who did so much uh, died so young and are really you know, largely forgotten except by those of us who were intimates, you mm. know, with them. So kind of, you know, I'm glad that the, the battles that they fought, uh, which have been to the benefit of all, uh, are being recognized in as great a film as this. Yeah, it, it does have that feeling of, uh, as you were saying, kind of educating um, people, who've, people who've benefited from those fights um, who don't know about it yes. and don't appreciate it. Um, and maybe even take it for granted to an extent. Yes. Um, it has the benefit of, of exp- very sort of viscerally educating you on yes. what they did and, and what, what not not exactly what they did, but sort of but what life was like back then and why it was so important and and how and in comparison to your life now, you know the way you would have been living sort of twenty twenty five years ago. I had a very interesting discussion with a friend where he was saying, oh, well, it must have been different in, you know, in Canada where, you know, I lived this period. Mm. You know, because here, you know, I lived in London, it didn't affect me at all. I didn't know anybody, you know, was infected or whatever. And I thought, you know, I kind of, I mean, I, I don't doubt that he was telling his truth, but also I think he misapprehended it in the sense that, you know, very simple things like the very act of reaching for a condom you know, it's something that you didn't have to do, like, you know, before the AIDS crisis, right? Like, you just didn't, yeah. you know, there's no need to, you didn't, right? So actually, you know, kind of how you had sex, who you had sex with, when, you know, the value of relationships, you know, kind of um, things like, you know, uh, um, 
I mean, there was in Montreal there were soup kitchens because you know people with 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 AIDS were evicted and had nowhere to go, and you know so there was a whole level of just organizational structures around on a community level that developed out of a necessity like that, right? And of course, people chose to be involved or not to be involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like kind of you know in different ways, but you know in my view it was all around, right? And the same energies that went around you know organizing. Soup kitchens and shelter is also the same kind of energy that went into organizing film festivals, you know, and kind of community centers and political lobbying that then resulted in things like equal rights and gay marriage and so on and so forth. Right? Yeah. So I think for me, kind of, you know, the debt to those people, you know, uh, um, those who died and actually and those who, who helped out is, is kind of immeasurable. So. Mm. Voila. <laughs> we better end here. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much for seeing that. I yeah, mean, well, thank you, you know, for making it. I'm sorry I bullied you into it. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, um, and thank you all very much for listening. And uh, if you do get a chance to see it, please do. We are on Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, iTunes. iTunes. We're eavesdrop- eavesdropping at movies.com. I guess is a sort of central page and then everything else is on the internet somewhere. Yes, and be aware that we you know we now have a back catalogue. So, you know, if you've come late to eavesdropping at the movies, but you're seeing a film either you know, by renting it on D V D or, you know, you've seen it on television and you wanna figure out, well, you know, what did Mike and Jose <laughs> think about this film? You know, you can kind of uh, easily look it up. So please do. Yeah, unless the film came out at the cinema before August last year. <laughs> <laughs> so it's exactly what was on Netflix now, or available for rental. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you. Oh.